Time now for Rocky Jordan. Not far from the mosque Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Café Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. The Café Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's story, The Broken Wing. There's a saying I've heard around Cairo that all a man needs for happiness is good food and good companions. Me, I add one thing more. That's lots of sleep. So naturally, I don't like it when somebody comes pounding at my tambourine door at 2 o'clock in the morning. But that's what happened. And the pounding got wilder and wilder. So I finally got up, put on my shoes and a robe, and went down the balcony steps into the cafe. Mr. Jordan! I beg you! Open the door! All right! Cut out the noise. I'm coming. I switched on the front light. Through the door glass, I could make out a stooped figure, gray-bearded in burnous and fez. I threw the latch, opened the door, and he bowed down, groveling at my feet. I look, Buster. Just get up and state your business. Oh, Mr. Jordan, my true friend. I come to you on my knees. Ben Abram. It is I, Ben, of the once honored house of Abram. Ben Abram, you don't have to bow down to me. You should know that. Thus, I express my distress, Mr. Jordan. Well, look, if there's something wrong, tell me. My good Effendi, you will recall that when you first came to Cairo, I was able to do you a small service. Oh, you better remember. She must have a stack of hundred-dollar bills hidden away someplace. Which she got in payment from the Japs. Right. But where are they? Where would she keep them? Well, if she had any sense, she'd keep them in the most obvious... Dan! Of course. You know what I'm thinking? Sure. Now, bet that's where they are. If we're right, we've got proof. And we've got Coralie. Some women collect dolls, others collect china, still others collect paintings. But this woman, this Coralie Williamson, collects hundred-dollar bills. That's her weakness. And on that weakness hangs a whole case. Hangs the safety of a nation. Hangs justice. But where are those hundred-dollar bills? Where does Coralie Williamson keep them? Where is the final proof that she is a Japanese agent? Good afternoon, Mrs. Williamson. I've been waiting for you. Now, look, Mr. Walker... I've been bothered enough. I assure you, this is the last time. You have no right to be here. A bank is a public place. I don't care. Either you leave me alone or I'll... What? Now, really, Mr. Walker, I haven't the slightest idea what this is all about. But I've had just about enough, and I don't intend to answer any more of your ridiculous questions. I think you will. Really? Oh, not from me, perhaps. From a judge. A judge? Why, you poor man. If you think... I do. Mr. Walker, let me get something straight for you once and for all. 
You'll never get me in a courtroom for a very simple reason. You can't prove one single solitary thing. And we both know it. Mrs. Williamson... You can't prove one single solitary thing. What have you got in that safety box? What? What's in that box? Just... just some money. Bills. Yes. Hundred dollar bills? Yes. None of your business. They're very much my business, Mrs. Williamson. In fact, they're my proof. Proof is a very simple word, but it's something that's very difficult to get. Once gotten, however, the end of a case is simple, too. For that end is the arrest and conviction of a spy. But what about the beginning? Let's go back to that. Let's go back to the first indication that there was a spy. Where did that come from? Not from the FBI, not from a policeman, not from any official authority, but from a citizen, an ordinary citizen, an ordinary American. Ordinary in one sense. In the sense that he realizes his duty and fulfills it. In the sense that he realizes that the FBI, like the government, like the country, like the future of the country, depends on him and every other citizen. No man can sit back. We all belong. We all have a part. We all make this country what it is now and what it will be in the future. You'll hear about the file on next week's case in just a moment. Will you join the Equitable Society in a salute? A salute to the men who forged the armor of modern war. To the men of the blast furnace and the rolling mill. And to the engineers and executives of the steel industry. All America is indebted to these men of steel. Last year they turned out 89 million tons of finished steel. A 70% increase over pre-war production. And in so doing, they help prove once again that the American way is a good way. And that free men and free enterprise are the backbone of this country. In 1859, when the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States was founded, steel was comparatively an infant industry. It grew up with the Equitable Society and also with the help of the Equitable. For Equitable Funds made up of the savings of its millions of members, have consistently been a factor in the development of steel. Without this one industry, there would have been no ships, no tanks, no planes, no guns. In wartime, equitable society dollars are fighting dollars. And at all times, they are security dollars. For you, your home, and your country. Next week, a crime against society. The confidence game. The incidents used in tonight's broadcast are taken from the files of the... Fe- me to tell, but in all else, I am at your command. Uh, sure. What now? Where do you want me to sleep? Sleep? Oh, uh, 
Up those back steps. It's all yours. But will you not show me? Yeah, that's the way you want it. Up this way. I will follow my master. Uh, there's the bed. Fresh sheets are over there. Where will you sleep? Uh, outside, lady. Just give me time to get a few things out of here. Wait, Serena. Yes? What happened to the veil? In her own quarters, a woman does not wear the veil. Did you not know? Uh, no. I trust my master will sleep well. Thanks. Then I was outside, but I still had my problem. A girl with the innocent round face of the Nile people of foreigner rarely sees face that trusted me for protection. From what? I had no idea. I started for my office downstairs, then changed my mind and bedded down on the stair landing just outside the door. The floor was hard, and the strange puzzle that had been handed me didn't help with the sleep. But I finally dozed off. I slept for maybe two hours, and I was suddenly sitting up wide awake. I slammed the door open in time to see two big robed figures coming in through the shattered window from the adjoining roof. I made a dive for the first one. It was like tackling a small pillar. He wrestled me more like a bear than a man. I got a lucky chance, and he went over my head and spoke. I was set for the second one, and my fist drove him back. He lunged at me. I ducked and let him go by and turned to meet number one. My master, the chair! I saw the chair coming down, but I was too late. It caught me above the left ear. I was on the floor telling myself to get up, only I didn't. When I finally cleared away some of the cobwebs, the room was empty. From below, I heard the crash of a door being broken open. I threw on some things in quick time, was down through the cafe, through the open door, and out onto the street. Far off down the dark street, I heard running footsteps, and I followed. They were always far enough ahead, so I couldn't see. When I reached the Sharia Ragoon, they were still nowhere in sight. I hesitated, and I stopped as a little form moved out of the shadows. For a poor blind man. Uh, how much does it cost to see a few things? Oh, Fendi, I am a helpless man, very poor. A couple of big Egyptians with a girl. Which way they go? Uh, but the, the dark, it is everywhere. I see nothing. No bakshi. Here, yeah, yeah. Let's help. Ah, the, the piastas. But wait, Fendi, wait. Come on, you don't have to test them. They're good. As you say, Fendi, they are genuine. Uh, what do you see now? Only two piastres. There's some more, but not till you tell me. Ah, suddenly the eyes of this humble man pierce the veil. I'll make it four piastres. They went into that great white house over the Nile. Now, dear, go buy yourself some carrots. Muta In two minutes more, I had reached the great house on the Nile, all white symbol of power in Egypt. A front gate led to the wide courtyard, and I kept going past the fountain toward the main door till two guards quickly moved from their boots to bar my way. The intruder will be gone. Uh, I got lots of business here. The house of Sheikh El-Hat Bey sleeps. Well, let's wake him up. Back. The unbeliever is asking trouble. A lot of trouble you don't want to get mixed up in, brother. To the streets with you. It is a command. Yeah, well, I'm going the other way. It is El Hatbe. Who comes to disturb the quiet of my house? An Americani, master. Let him approach me. The guards let go of my arms, and Sheikh El Hatbe waited on the steps before the door. 
couldn't help being fascinated with what I saw. Not the colored robes, or the fez that topped a slim face accented by a well-clipped beard. It was something perched on his shoulder, a Baza falcon. Its beady eyes, hooked beak, and talons gleaming in the moonlight. By what right does an infidel come at this hour? Little case of kidnapping, Elhad Bey. What is your name? Her name's Rocky Jordan. Now, where's Tarina? She is quite safe. She is of no interest to such as you. Think again. Tarina was sleeping at my cafe. Mashallah. She was brought there by her father, Ben Abram. I promised to protect her. You know what a promise means. It was not yours to give. But you admit Tarina was brought here against her will. By the orders of my honored nephew, Fingal Jarus. I, as his guardian, since the death of his father, give my blessing. Your nephew sent those two muscle boys to drag the girl from her bed? It was his right. Yeah, well, not in my books, Elhard Bay. Mr. Jordan, it is obvious you have much to learn of the ways of the East. Until then, you had best accept my word. What about Ben Abram's word? It is like dirt at my feet. Supposing the police get wind of this, what'll they think? May I suggest that you go now and find out? And leave this house in peace. Yeah, not till I see Tarina and get her you story. You will not defile her again by your presence? Let her decide that. Then I have no choice. Papal, Shamak! Throw this unbeliever into the street! I will, I rolled over three times, got up and started back for the gate, till I saw the knives the guards had pulled out from somewhere. Then I knew getting to Torino right now would be about as easy as stealing the Sphinx. But it looked like the best thing I could do was to go to Ben Abram and admit I'd failed him. That took me all the way across Cairo to the East Hills. When I got to Ben Abram's house, it was empty. There was no sign of him, so I waited in the court. He finally showed up almost an hour later. He came staggering in at the point of exhaustion. Great red marks across his face and his robe spotted with blood. I got to him and helped him to a bench. Please. Please, my friend. My welfare is nothing. But you've been hurt. Look, I'll get you to a doctor. No, tell me of my daughter. Why do you not guard her? I've got bad news, Ben Abram. Oh, tell me quickly. Tarina's in the house of Elhad Bay. It cannot be. I know, I promised. But well, two men got in from the roof. They were a little too much for me. They got her away, and I followed them to Sheikh El Hadbe's house. Then there is nothing more. She was taken there by orders of his nephew. El Hadbe told me he had the right. Yes, it is as he says. No man has that right. You know, I think it's time you made a few things clear. Yes, I must tell you now. Mr. Jordan, I loved my daughter more than my life. It was my desire that she marry in dignity. It has been written, an unwed daughter is like a broken wing. Sure, Abram. Three years ago, Mr. Jordan, while Tarina was but a child, I promised her as wife to Fingal Jarus, the nephew of El Bey. But since then, I have learned many things about Jarus. He is a kelp, a vicious man who would bring her nothing but sorrow. I think I'm beginning to see. A few days ago, Jarus came to me demanding that I bring Tarina to him as wife. I begged him to release me from my promise, but he would not listen. Yeah, but as her father... No, Mr. Jordan. She was his by right of our law. And Fingar would not listen. He threatened to take her from me. I could not entrust her to one of my own people. That's when you brought her to my place. Yes, I was willing to face dishonor to suffer humiliation, but my daughter must be protected from that man. 
What happened to me? It's nothing. Yeah, looks like I let you down. I am only grateful for your efforts, Mr. Chorton. Now, there is no way of getting her back. But look, we can do something. No. Man's efforts are as nothing against the will of Allah. It was his decree that my promise be fulfilled. I tried a couple of arguments, but all I met with was despair. It's no laughing matter. Nobody's laughing. Both the girl with the three blue eyes, the man who gets up so late he has breakfast in the middle of Monday evening, will be on hand with a bright, new, highly original program. And as though you hadn't guessed, his first name is Abe. So tomorrow, don't please don't go to bed until you've had breakfast with Abe Burroughs on CBS tomorrow night at 6.30. Now we return you to Cairo and tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan, The Broken Wing. Well, ordinarily I don't mix in family feuds, especially in Cairo. But I owed a debt to Ben Abram. When he entrusted his daughter Tarina to my protection, I had no choice. And I failed. Tarina was captured by her promised husband. Shortly after that, he was killed. When confronted with the news, Ben Abram confessed to the murder. Sam Sabaya took us to headquarters, got my story, and put Ben Abram in a cell. Then he let me stay with the old man for a few minutes, and I tried to get some sense out of him. My good Effendi, it is for the best. I don't see it that way, Ben Abram. But you must not concern yourself about me. I just don't think you're a man who would kill, that's all. Mr. Jordan, can you not see? What does murder mean to a soul that is already lost? Tarina is now free from the rash promise I once made. Look, you still have time to change that confession. No. Now, please, leave me now. I ask but one thing of you. Yeah? The happiness of my daughter. I leave her in your hands forever. I left him then. Ben Abram had given me a tall order, but I had to do what I could. Anyhow, I wanted to clear up a few things in my own mind, so I went back down to the big white house of Sheikh Elhad Bay on the banks of the Nile. There was a steady stream of friends and relatives going in by way of the court. The bay was there at the door, greeting the mourners. The falcon still perched on his shoulder. Have I not sent you once from this house? I uh, just came back to set things right, Elhad Bay. At another time, Jordan. My most gracious Elhad Bay. What would you have, woman? It is I whom you summon for a few pieces of silver. I come to mourn for the departed one. It is well. Take the silver. Uh, Retire now to the upper chambers and well with the others. Not a shock here. Anomaly. A moment, woman. Your grief is most restrained. Perhaps a few more pieces of silver. Mm, the bay is most generous. Hey, now, uh, how about a word with me, eh? Have you not gone? I just want you to know getting mixed up in this wasn't my idea. You have come to tell me that. Sheikh Elhad Bay, the last thing I want to do is meddle in the affairs of your people. I hope you believe that. 
I regret very much the death of your nephew. I will make peace with you. Bismillah. Thanks. Do you mind telling me where Tarina is? She has no place in my house now. The girl is gone. Where? I do not know. I see. Oh, uh, one thing more. I'd like to see Fingal's body. It has not been prepared for burial. As a special favor? Then I'll go. Very well. I cannot refuse. This way, please. The adjoining room. My nephew is here. The only son of my elder brother. Yeah. I pray you spend little time. A uh, bandage on his chest. The knife was there. You think Ben Abram did it? By his own confession. For this outrage against my house, he also will die. Sorry, fellows. Nothing more I could do. Gloria Tierney died at 3.35 in the afternoon without revealing the full name of the man who had shot her the night before. Expense account item seven, six bucks, drinks. Myself and Sergeant Mapes. Well, we're sure of two things. Are we? Yeah. His name's Bill. And this is the worst whiskey I ever tasted. Uh, there ought to be a law. I think there is, Sergeant. I'm going to ask you something, baby. Outside of the fact that that girl up there died a few minutes ago and was wearing a stolen mink worth $11,000 that you've been wanting to get your hands on, what about her? How does it strike you? She looked like a nice girl. Yeah. She looked like the best kind of girl ever made. What else? What would someone like that be doing in a stolen mink coat? Exactly. What would she be doing with a stolen mink coat? Outside of having herself a time with a guy named Bill who gave it to her. You call that having herself a time? <laughs> I'd like to get drunk. Every bum in town's named Bill. This is bad. Terrible. Worst stuff I ever drank. You can say that again, baby. Worst stuff I ever drank. Waiter. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Bring us two more of the same. Only make them double. Yes, sir. Right away, sir. Hmm. I'm glad to see you aren't fussy, Dolly. Not a bit. Not a lousy bit. You know, I looked at you when you came in my office and I said to myself, I got a wiseacre on my hands. Huh? I got a wheeling, dealing wiseacre who's got himself a little tip and he's gonna keep it all to himself. I said, why do I have to put up with this kind of trouble? Why don't I just toss this bum in the cooler and go about my business? I'm a copper, I got work to do. Why fool with an insurance stick, I said. But I'm very happy to see you aren't a fussy fella, baby. Very happy. All right, you made a speech, now I'll make one. Go ahead. Well, I stood in a hospital room and I watched a human being die. Oh, it was part of my job, part of your job, too. But for myself, I don't like it. 
If I have to go into why every man's death diminishes me, I'm going to fall all over myself because I never could go into that kind of stuff. Yeah, I know what you mean. But I'll say this. That girl that died in there was... Well, she was the kind of girl I could have kept right on scene. Yes, I'd like very much to have knocked on... I await my master. Serena! Where have you been? It was the command of my father that I remain here. I return as soon as possible. But how? Nobody saw you. A veiled girl could not enter by the door of this place. I came as the others last night by the roof. You sure know how to get around. My master, I would learn of my father. Where is he? He's in jail, Serena, for the murder of Fingal. But what does my father say? He confessed to me and everybody else. It is as I feared. I prayed to Allah it would not be so. And yeah, now it's up to you whether he stays there or not. I do not understand. I would do anything. So happens I know Ben Abram didn't kill Fingal. You say he confessed. Is it not so? Only to protect you, Serena. He thinks you did it. And maybe I do too. No. No, that is not true. I said it's up to you, Serena. Keep quiet and you know what will happen to your father. He thinks that'll make you happy, but I don't. My master, let me speak. It is true that my father gave me the knife, charging me to protect myself. When I was taken before Fingal in the house of his uncle, he swore he would have me as wife. It was then that I drew the knife. All right, let's have the rest of it. I drove it at his chest, but I am weak and he was strong. The knife only scratched him. He threw me back in great fury and left the room, shouting I should be taken to the harem. I did not see him again. You think anyone's going to believe that, Serena? They have only to look at the wound, my master. <clears throat> Captain Sabaya speaking. Uh, Rocky, Sam. Yes, Jordan. Uh... Has there been an autopsy on Fingal's Jerusalem? Autopsy? Certainly not. For what possible reason do you ask? Well, you better do it, Sam. You'll find out some things. I will do no such thing. Besides, the burial procession leaves within the hour. Then get busy. There still may be time to stop it. Jordan, you know that cannot be done without cause. All you have to do is check on Sheikh El-Hud Bey's background. He was uh, quite a gambler, Sam. Find out how he stands financially. You'll get a surprise. What are you driving at, Jordan? Fingal was the only son of El-Hud Bey's elder brother. Now they're both dead. Who stands to benefit most by Fingal's death? That is of no consequence. We have the confessed murderer. But it's all wrong. Now hurry, Sam. Meet me at El Hot Bay's house in ten minutes. Jordan, you will not go to that place at such a time. Think again, Sammy. I'll see you there. What would you have me do, Master? Stay right here, Tarina. Keep those pretty little fingers crossed. I was off again for the big white house of Sheikh Elad Bey. This time, I knew the reason why. In nine minutes flat, I was there, and I didn't make it any too soon. The funeral procession was already moving out across the court. They had a drum beating, and along with the wailers, all in all, it promised to be a first-class affair. Right in the lead came Sheikh Elad Bey, falcon and all. Stand from the gate, Jordan. You're uh, rushing things a little, aren't you, Elad Bey? Can you not see the procession has begun? Why not the usual three-day wait? Afraid the police will come nosing around, maybe? Silence! 
The infidel would not desecrate the dead. Yeah, by the way, just how did Fingal die? By the knife of Ben Abram. Sure. You want your nephew buried real quick so everyone will keep on believing that, right? Of what do you speak now? Supposing an autopsy proved the knife wound was nothing but a scratch. You knew Tarina tried to stab Fingal but didn't kill him. So you decided to finish the job. Guard your words, Jordan. How'd you do it, with poison? Well, it's easy to find out, Elhud. The main thing is you knew the blame would go to either Tarina or Ben Abram. You didn't care which. And you'd have the family of wealth. Guards! Remove the lying infidel! They needn't bother. I was just going for a chat with the Cairo police. I saw you through these binoculars. I couldn't tell if you were a statue I'm or... quite real. Hey, look. I'm not a masher or a peeping Tom. I use these glasses for my hobby. I'm a bee fancier. I'm studying a hive in that oak tree by the fence. The old one. Know anything about bees? Really, I have to leave. Bees flap their wings 16,000 times a minute. They can fly seven miles without stopping. They get up to a speed of 20 miles an hour. They've got two pair of wings, one in back of the other. Thank you for the information. Oh, there's a lot more about bees I haven't told you. I'll be at the oak tree tomorrow afternoon. The old one by the fence. Hello there. Shh. Come over here. See inside the crevice? Uh-huh. That's their hive. It runs down to the tree. Those bees in the outer lip, they're the sentries. They keep strangers out. And see the bees flapping their wings? Uh-huh. They're fanners. They ventilate the hive. <laughs> I thought bees just went around stinging people. That's propaganda. Oh, uh, by the way, my name's Bruce. Oh, mine's Mary. Here, take the binoculars. And get up on this incline. Why? Oh, look down to the hole. You can see the comb. Oh. The cells on top are a little bigger than the others. They got queen bee eggs in them. Uh-huh. They've been there 11 days. It takes them 16 to hatch. Oh. When the first one's ready, the wax will be scraped off the end of the cell and there'll be a new queen. Bruce, I'm sorry I'm late. Hi, Mary. I thought you weren't coming today. I almost didn't. What happened? You get tired of the job already? No, I... I didn't know whether I ought to keep meeting you. Why not? Well, where's the notebook? In my briefcase. What goes on? They'll probably know. Okay. In the meantime, there's your ball. Now, will you forget about Liza being chased across the ice by Simon Legree and hit yourself a golf shot? I can't think of anything more enchanting. Save the charm for the customers. Parishioners, Irene. Not customers. Well, whatever you call them, we're about to have one less. Who's that? Mary. Why? She's restless. I think she's losing interest. We can't afford to have her go. Why do you think I'm here? It's natural for her to be restless. Any young girl cooped up for three months would be. But you've got to prevent her from getting bored. How? Irene, astral control isn't a dull subject. If she's beginning to think it is, you're not feeding it the right way. I'll start using a spoon. Really, dear. We share equally, you know, and she signs over her property. 
What's that got to do with it? You ought to do as much work as I. I do. If you hadn't been careless, she wouldn't have become involved. That's over now. He was back again today. You see him? No. Nora kept him out. You'd better not wait till next week for Mary's induction. We've got to. Why? Your confidence is very touching. But even I can't rush an eclipse of the moon. Let's find another reason. You've got a transfer deed. Get her to sign it, and I'll make her a member in 15 minutes. Jim, I hate to bother you. Oh, hello, Bruce. I went out to see Mary's neighbors this morning. Oh? (laughs) Sam, why don't you mind your own business? It's CBS again at this same time next week for another story of adventure and intrigue when we take you back to Cairo and the Cafe Tambourine run by Rocky Jordan. Rocky Jordan, written by Gomer Cool and Larry Roman, stars Jack Moyles in the title role and was produced by Cliff Howell and directed tonight by Gordon T. Hughes with original music by Richard Arant. Larry Thor speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs> <laughs> 